Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, ice sculptures and winter animals. In a way, I think there's a there's a ghost that you always carry, you know, when you're creating something static. Whereas in ice, it's gone. And there's something very liberating about it. How warm ice and cold ice interact is very different. And And these little sciences that we know we manipulate to the max to create what we create and then i use a chainsaw no matter how big how small the sculpture is i would say about 70 percent of the work we do we we use a chainsaw i want to thank you so much for joining us if you get a chance subscribe leave us a rating or review we really appreciate it. it really helps us out if you're a new listener Welcome to the show. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much for all of your support. So our first guest creates some of the biggest, most intricate, and awe-inspiring ice sculptures in the world. This is world champion ice sculptor Shintaro Akamoto. What is it about ice? Like, why ice? To me, ice is the most under-investigated, underappreciated material. You know, ice is 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 ephemeral it's it's a uh, you know constantly changing um you know deteriorating disappearing material um i see ice as more of a performance piece uh you know all the work that goes in there uh to create something but i think i think the real power happens once it leaves our studio um you know ice has uh, a volume but no color other you know with the transparency so you know it, it, it relies on its 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 silhouette and contour uh it's it's, it's crystalline in the sense that it, it really resolves its its volume through light so we have to think about you know refractions ice has uh i think uh, a real fitting place in places like events industry because it's that one time you know, of the moment, kind of physicalizing the time passing kind of thing, you know? That makes sense to me in the sense that art, that ice's art is always changing. Is is that something that kind of draw, drew you to it in that regard that this sculpture that I created at eight o'clock is not going to be the same as the sculpture is at nine o'clock? I mean, that constant change is, is definitely attractive, you know, no matter how much we kind of have uh idea a plan of of what it will do it it's uh always defies the expectations you know uh because there are so many variables to what 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 will change ice from the room temperature to the airflow to uh you know sunlight or how much people are touching interacting um and 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 to me it's just humbling because you know um my my formal training as as a painter something that's incredibly on the up you know static on the other end of it and 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 once you create something it stays and lives with you and on a personal level all you know i see what i learn from but i'm always running to, to move on to to kind of you know grow from that point uh it's it's you know when you're making something i think that stays you're thinking about what next can you create and in a way i think there's a there's a ghost that you always carry you know when you're creating something static whereas in ice it's gone and there's something very liberating about it and it has allowed me to just really focus and enjoy the process is ice from a technical standpoint is it fundamentally harder or easier to work with than other sculpting mediums 
As a sculpting process, it's very similar to any other hard material carving. You know, it's essentially reductive carving. Um, but, you know, the, the tools that we use from chainsaws, chisels, drills, saws, uh, you know, it, it's about, you know, taking a, a, away the negative material um, and, and, you know, creating a form that lives within a space. Uh, so if you have a very sharp material, um, you know, it, it, it's a very similar process. The big difference with, I think, any other material uh, is that um, you can execute incredibly fast. Um, so what it takes for in, in days and weeks, months with stone or wood, we can realize it in, in hours. Um, and uh, I think that's something very, very different. Why is that? Is that just because ice is a more malleable material or because of the techniques that you're using like why are you able to do it faster i think with the sharp sharp tools it's very receptive to cutting you know um i mean i mean i think that's the interesting about ice as a material is there's this constant kind of polar dichotomy to it that it's but it's because it's it's hard but it's soft it's it's strong but it's fragile and um, you know, depending on how ice gets hit on the surface, at what angle, it reacts very differently. You know, it's it's heavy, but it's 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 buoyant. You know, it, it floats in water. You know, uh, it's a very interesting material. Yeah, I would imagine that you could crack it all the way through quite easily. You can. But I mean, if you have an ice pick that has a force in one singular, you know, point, it can shatter. But if you take a sledgehammer and try to break ice, it actually doesn't break that that easily, you know. Um, so how you hit and where you hit, ice behaves very differently. Could you step into another medium? Could you go work with wood or go work with stone? Like, could you... Tr could you translate to another medium easier than somebody could come into ice, do you think? The act of carving is very similar. The tools we use to carve is very similar. Um, but like with any material, it has its own tendencies that we all have to learn. So does it cross over well? Yeah, I think it does cross over well. And, and then the rest... Is all small things, you know. You know how, how ice behaves in below freezing environment is very different from how ice behaves in above freezing melty environment. How warm ice and cold ice interact is very different. And and these little sciences that we know, we manipulate to the max to create what we create. So where do you get the ice from? Like, do you, does it have to? Is it a special kind of ice, or is it just? Man, I just fill up, this is just regular old ice. It is a special kind of ice. You know, in my industry standard, there's the ice, there's the carving blocks. Uh, it's a crystal clear ice. Um, it's crystal clear because it's, it's, it's free of any air bubbles uh, that's trapped inside that would naturally happen when you're freezing still, still water. You know, if you have a bucket of water in a freezer or below freezing environment, um, as is, you'll get very cloudy white ice, like ice you get in conventional freezer in your refrigerator, right? Uh, those are tiny air bubbles that gets trapped inside because, you know, in the process, basically, when you're freezing from all sides, the last place that freeze is the middle of your water. 
And at that point, as water freezes, these these air bubbles from H, the air from HTO, you know, as it becomes more static, kind of kind of kind of release itself, and and you know, there's no place for that to go, uh, so you get these cloudy ice. Clear ice happens uh, where you we have two things: one direction freezing. So it's not freezing from all around, but from for our machines. Uh, and our machine is not a special machine that we build, but it's an industry standard machine. Uh, but it freezes from bottom up where there's only a coolant in the bottom and all the rest of the sides just have insulations to kind of keep the temperature focused. So it freezes bottom up. And the second thing is moving water, agitating the water as it freezes. By, by freezing one direction, you're keeping the, the impurities and air bubbles on the surface of the ice as it freezes. And by moving the water, it kind of brushes the surface of the water constantly and releases the air bubbles as it goes. Um, it's a slower process uh, than freezing still water. So it takes about, about three days a cycle uh, an industry machine makes two blocks per machine, usually. Each block is about 300 pounds, about, you know, a little over 40 gallons of water. Um, and, uh, I mean, that's that's how you make it. I mean, I th it's often said that it kind of mirrors how lake ice is made. Because lake ice is kind of inverting that, that idea. Uh, lake ice naturally is kind of moving, circulating within that, that lake. So the water is constantly moving. Uh, and it's freezing from top down, you know, the bottom is the warmest, you know, um, you know, relatively. So oftentimes, uh, in old times, the, you know, once you cut the whole snow part uh, of the top uh, ice, you get a very clear, you know, bluish ice that, that, that you can pull out. Will you ever use kind of like natural ice? Will you ever do that? I have. I mean, I've had an opportunity. There are, you know, very choice ice sculpting competitions, exhibitions way up north. Uh, you know, their uh, famous ones are like the Ice Alaska up in Fairbanks, uh, Alaska, to uh, Yellowknife up up in uh, Yukon Territory in, in Canada. Um, you know, and where you can get natural ice, and it's where very hardcore ice carvers will love to come get together and it's it's come a become a, a pilgrimage for you know top ice carvers to you know um eventually get to where you get to carve natural big blocks of ice to to carve something um i've also had a chance you know opportunity to carve glacial glacial ice in the past you know where i, I carve in an ice iceberg uh that was really interesting um as a, that's a that's a different ice where ice resulted from you know just thousands of years of compacted snow and rain and whatever into it it's actually not a great carving ice it's got a lot of sediments and volcano ashes and all these things that will really damage your tools right away and it's very you know porous and, and brittle and un, un, unexpected um but it's you know it's definitely a fun experience so then when you work on the ice like what what temperature are you like ideally like you're trying to work on the ice in this temperature of a room there there are two ways of carving that, that we we all come across you're either a wet carver or dry carver uh, dry carvers are those who carve in the freezer uh, or below freezing environment wet carvers are those who carve uh outside the freezer you know my father who taught myself and uh uh you know many of the um the carvers that, that have grown to, you know, uh, become principal carvers for us at our studio, 
we, we all were taught uh, as wet carvers first. There's a lot more variables to, to, to plan and think about because your ice is melting as you're carving. Now, clear ice is slow melting ice. Uh, much, much slower than kind of the conventional kind of cloudy white ice. You know, being clear of air bubbles means it's got least amount of surface areas. And the rate of melting, uh, I mean, other than the temperature, is really the exposure to that surface uh, where air can, can really react to the temperature more. So crystal clear ice is very slow melting ice. And, and you know, even in the hottest days, you know, in the above 90 degrees it's it's uh it's it's workable um and of course we just have to plan that much more to it you know you have to really plan your steps you know you need to save your details to the very very end you know where you want to think about where you want to exaggerate certain forms so you can kind of really hit that spot right when you're done a dry carving is 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 then is is a different um uh, a, a game, you know, when, when you're doing something very, very, you know, uh, meticulous, detailed, uh, a, a dry carving, carving in the freezer will definitely free us of, of, um, uh, you know, worrying about losing, the, losing those details. So at that point, you can really focus on, on, uh, uh, you know, the forms and, and really push the boundaries of, of the materials. But sometimes it's harder to see where you're gonna get because when you carve inside the freezer, your your ice tend to get a little bit, you know, uh, hazier. Um, uh, so in which case we have to kind of blow torch to the surface or heat gun the surface to to get it all clear up. Um, I think you learn a lot more as a, as a wet carver. Uh, it's it's kind of a old school way, old world way of carving something, and you know, just like anything, you know, the old ways is just everything's just more manual. You know, it's it's everything's a little more uh right at the tip of your fingers and 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 you gotta be on your toes to get everything everything done so um you know but we 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 do both at our studio is there a rivalry between the wet and dry carvers like oh look at this guy so yeah wet carver you can't carve dry <laughs> well i mean if you can wet carve i mean everyone who dry carves uh, i mean any wet carvers can go in a freezer and be like wow this is so great you know, it's not melting, so I can have so much more fun. But I've come across many dry carvers. Carvers have only carved inside the freezer. Just panic when you're carving outside because, you know, they they haven't had the 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 foresight that 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 brain muscle to really know to plan your your you know course of action. You know, because your ice is melting. So um, I think there's definitely advantage when you know how to wet carve. Do you have to kind of anticipate how the ice is going to change? Like, okay, I'm going to make this feature, but I know I have to make it like this and then let it melt down and then it will look the way that I want it to. Yeah. There's definitely certainly way to uh, modify, manipulate, accommodate, um, adjust the design based on uh, melting. Um, but mainly it's really again like knowing ice as a material oftentimes what we do uh you know we run on our arts business you know um we carve something and it has to leave the studio it needs to be wrapped it needs to be transported oftentimes disassembled in parts 
and then delivered to a, a site and then reassembled and then go through the duration of the event uh, and and live through its peak, um, you know, viewing in, in those hours. So, you know, we have to think about all of that as we're carving it. So if you're carving something pointy, uh, we'll often not take it to that point, but give a little bit of bluntness, you know, blunt tip at the edge. And that gives strength so that when you hit it, 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 it you know, when you wrap it or as we hold it, it doesn't just break off. Um, but it has enough taper that as it starts melting, and even, even then, like it, it has, you know, it has suggestions of point already, but strength given by its volume and the way it melts um, really kind of follows that, that, that form. Some carvers may keep it chunky and say, well, this is going to look great, you know, a couple hours into it. But I realized that it's, you know, if the silhouette, if the, if the lines are, are, are correct and tight, it, it, it melts that way. You know, if you carve chunky, it stays chunky even as it melts away and disappears. And I always believe that with ice sculpture, it's the first impression. And as it melts away, that memory still kind of stays, you know. Um, so it's, it's I, to me, I, experiencing ice sculpture is really more about the memory of what it is than what, what really is. That kind of leads us into some of our listener-submitted questions. So are you ready for some harder-slash-listener-submitted questions? Yeah, let's do it. So this first one is kind of along those lines in the sense that do you look at the fact that it melts as sad or what makes it special? I certainly uh, am in a camp of, of, of it being very special that it, it melts away. On a personal level, it's, it's, that, it's that practice of letting go for me that I really uh, appreciate you know, it's, it's, I get to really focus on the process. The beauty of working with ice is not the, the fighting of it disappearing. It's really the embracing of it disappearing. That's what makes it special. It's really amazing when people see our work and, and, and be so amazed at how much work you put into something that's disappearing. And that, that gap uh, really activates the sculpture and that, I think, the art experience uh, like nothing else, uh, 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 a sculpture do, you know, follow up that insightful and thoughtful answer with how do you get rid of it? Like, do they just let it melt? Do they just throw it in the <laughs> bathtub? Like, what do you do? Yeah, there's a lot of logistics there. There's definitely an art of its own in disposing ice. Uh, but essentially it's about breaking it and, and, um, you know, controlled contained breaking. Um, and again, that, you know, that, that similar question of, is it sad to break it, uh, can come into play, but uh, I think all of us who work with ice also find it incredibly liberating to break it away too. If anything, it's like this stress reliever, you know, we often joke how, um, uh, you know, we see these like, you know, break rooms where, where people can go into like abandoned cars and smash things to relieve your stress it's very close to that i mean you know it's it's great uh to go in there and just break everything i mean if that's if our job is to just break what we got it can be really fun we can use various tools to to break our ice but our our favorite tool of choice is, is a simple good old ice pick is there anything that you can't do 
in the sense that like, oh, I would really like to do this. I would really like to do this sculpture. But you just can't do that with ice. There's a lot you can do with ice. I mean, the only thing is we can't defy gravity. I mean, I say that's what I say to my clients, you know. We get to work with, you know, car designers and, uh, you know, design a, a runway and uh, lighting designers. And we've made chandeliers, you know, out of ice and hanging from the trusses. And there's so much that, 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 that we been challenged to do and it's really about solving problems what was your personal favorite piece thing that you've done is like oh that was that was that was my favorite my favorite pieces are all public installations you know just because it's where we get to show slice of magic of what we do and having uh the the people who didn't expect to encounter our work to to find in their you know passing our days to to see our work and then interact with it and interact physically you know where where our pieces are where we where we invite people to touch our eyes um that's another thing that i always love is i, I love people touching our, our work you know in kind of a you know art world etiquette you don't touch art pieces you know you don't touch sculptures but um when people touch our sculptures and then be like oh wow it's ice it's really ice and it's really this big and why is it here you know and again um i love making ice sculptures in this city that i work in because we've got to do some really cool things and we get to have a lot of people you know um experience our work i've done pieces where we've frozen thousand pairs of flip-flops uh in the middle of union square where people are invited to you know try to melt the ice away and to grab you know pairs of flip-flops or um you know we've done um you know uh you know cityscape uh inspired pillars of ice where people can walk around like a maze uh just really cool things and to be able to again share with uh, people who are unexpecting. Do you think that can this love raise to the level of kind of high art? And when I think of kind of high art in terms of like, you know, Guernica or Mona Lisa, do you think that this medium can raise to that level of high art? I think so. Art is, is, is documented and, and understood in, in such spectrum today. And it's it's i think it's ultimately where we choose to engage ourselves in so this one here yeah this is essentially a shoe like how did you do this i mean this is a great example of really having that little sneak peek of the whole magic of where you create something you know um this is a um uh you know a video piece a collaboration we do with hype hype beast where we where I got to carve, uh, um, you know, the, the Air Jordan. Um, I mean, you can see in the video, it starts from a block of ice. And we, you know, I, I cut it to the overall volume of, of, of the block. And I did a, a, a simple grid transfer of the image. And then I used a chainsaw, no matter how big, how small the sculpture is, I would say about 70% of the work we do, we, we use a chainsaw. 
um, it's an electric chainsaw that we use. Um, and uh, I cut the negative space, and then I do the basic leveling, the kind of the volume, uh, the angles. I push the chainsaw as much as I can. It's amazing. You can see how amazing uh, uh, level of finesse you can get from something as brute as, as chainsaw. Um, you know, there, there's a lot that you can do. Um, and then once we have the shape um, pretty much set, um, I use what we call a chipper, uh, which is basically like a multi-prong ice pick, uh, which has been uh, kind of a, a, a preferred tool, very similar to chisels. But much easier to maintain and he eats ice much easier so I use a chipper uh, or, or a chisel to get the final overall volume um, and then I use uh, die grinders to really fine-tune that shape um, and die grinders have different bits the heads that can create the shape like in this video I have uh, a burr um, uh, which is this tiny prickled bit it's an orange head bit that you see in the video that really shaves off all the the corners and edges of the shape that I've chipped away and that really kind of smooths out the overall shape and I really kind of finish the total complete outer volume of the shape and then from there I use finer bits like knife bits and needle bits we call them as you can see from the name, uh, they had a finer tip. Um, sometimes I'll finish off with small chisels to, you know, push down certain uh, areas so it looks like it's overlapping. One's on top of the other or going under. That's about it. And then I finish it off with either a torch or sometimes even a splash of water um, and get it all nice and clear. I noticed that, but why, why is the blow now? Why does the blowtorch make it look like that? Like I'm looking at it, and it's a little bit—I'll just use the word like kind of cloudy—and then you hit it with that blowtorch, and I'm like, oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the fine—the final tools that that we use are are so so fine that in between the tool bit marks, snow gets inside. You know. So the haziness comes from the snow and, you know, in this instance, it was a nice cold day. So, you know, there, there's some frost that can, can re remain or maintain on the ice surface. So um, we often do a finish with either water or blowtorch uh, to get the, the, the true clarity, to really kind of basically melt down the snow particles that, that sticks to the ice. Um, and once that's cleared up, we once we put it in the freezer, uh, you know, all those wet surfaces will dry up right away, and it, it becomes a stable, you know, final state, you know, state, uh, you know, stage of of the sculpture. Now, how long would that? How long did that take you to do? Uh, the sculpture itself probably took about an hour itself to really carve it. I would like to go fast as I can because I'm carving outside the freezer one, so I'm wet carving here. So ice is slowly melting, but I can go that fast because I took my time to plan my tools. You know, I can go that fast because I did my drawing. So I think it's a very fair thing to always calculate what, how much plan goes in there too, you know? Yeah, there's a huge difference between the time that like I'm actually 
physically yeah. working on it versus the preparation for it. And yeah, fine. yeah. Like, it's really impressive. I have no artistic ability whatsoever. <laughs> like, just, just, is this a whole car? Uh, yeah, that, that was a fun collaboration I did with Porsche. Um, and this was cool because, you know, I got to carve the replica of the sculpture. Um, and then uh, we blowtorched it down to nothing. But then the director then played it backwards so, as if the fire is what's making the sculpture. Oh. So that was, his, that was his narrative and, uh, you know, gave me this, 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 this uh, concept. And I just thought it was so brilliant, you know, simple and direct and really kind of turning itself. I'm amazed at the amount of intricacy that you can get in there. Now, how, yeah. So, okay. I don't know anything about art, so this question is might not make any sense. But like, how do you get kind of the perspective on it in the sense where like you can see the angles? It looks three dimensional. Like, do you have to account for the way that light is going to hit it? You know, creating a sculpture. I mean, to do anything, right? Anything you do, you break it down to small pieces. Uh, and it's about it's about putting together the building blocks to get to your goal, right? Um, so for sculptures, it's a three D piece. We can break it down to a series of two D pieces, you know. So you understand the front, the sides, yeah, yeah, right, the backs and tops. You take those measurements, you, and then. You, you piece them together and you naturally get the 3D piece. Um, achieve that. That said, I, you know, in our studio, I think almost all of my carvers uh, that I work with, they're painters. And maybe because, one, my, background's, my background is in paint, painting. I'm a painter. I think everything in paintings. Um, uh, but I think too, you know, as a painter, as a draftsman, you know, you, 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 I quickly learned that you carve as well as you draw. You know, you need to know how to draw, and especially because what we do, we, we don't make sculptures that investigates the material vice. You know, what what we do is not just abstract pieces. You know, it's not what we want to do only. We we create pieces what our clients bring to our table every day, and. One day we'll carve a replica of, of you know, of you, Nick, you know, or, uh, or, you know, we carve a replica of a Porsche uh, or, uh, you know, Air Jordan sneakers or a logo or a building or whatnot, you know, uh, or a kangaroo, you know. Um, and we need to have this basic knowledge of proportions of things in the world. We often talk about that, you know. You kind of have to know these things. You have to have a very... Uh, deep, uh, I think, sixth sense of what things kind of is shaped like, you know. Um, we all have this general curiosities of, of shape in everything. And um, that's a very, very uh, special thing that I always look for with people that I work with. You just have to be curious about everything. So what is this? Tell me about this. This was a collaboration we've done with Hunter Boots. 
people love seeing things frozen inside ice. You know, when you see something frozen inside ice, um, again, there's another sense of timelessness. You know, there's a, you know, frozen in time that's literally there, you know. Um, that's pretty much all the questions I've got. Is there anything that you think that we missed or anything like that? Ice sculpting, ice carving, I think is fascinating because it, it kind of exists outside of, I think, what people understand as an, as a, as an art world. You know, it's, it's essentially an outsider art genre. You know, it's, it's a sculpture that's often mostly done by non-art trained artists, you know, um, because ice carving most often come across, especially in America, through culinary lineage. It's many of the ice carvers are people who were ex-chefs. And it's a very passionate community. Uh, it's a very uh, innovative community because almost all of our tools are something that's developed from taking tools off the shelf from, from hardware stores and then modifying it to work with ice and then sharing that with ice community at large. So I fell in love with this craft, I think a lot less about the craft itself, but really people. And, um, and even for today, you know, I have so many mentors in the ice community uh, who are constantly pushing um, the, the material. Um, and I really owe to, to them more than anything with what we get to do um, every day. And I don't take it for granted all the knowledge and skill set that we have, that it's, 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 in the, it's really in, in the, you know, the pillars and foundations of um, so many crazy ass people who work with ICE. I want to thank Shintaro so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have linked to him on our social media sites. We're profoundly pointless on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. And we've also included his information in the episode description. If you want to see more of some of the sculptures and how he creates them, the YouTube version of this episode will be live on November 30th at 12.30 p.m. Pacific. One show change that I probably should have mentioned a long time ago, but just kind of forgot about, is that we're restructuring the way that we do the show. We're still going to have exactly the same kind of guests and exactly the same kind of conversations. It's just that we're going to group things along monthly themes. So October, we did spooky. November was sex and money. December is going to be all winter. And then going into January, we're going to look at the future. Okay, now let's bring in John Shaw and get to the pointless part of the show. Do you have any artistic talent? No. What areas of life do you feel like you just have no talent in? Probably anything to do with art. I feel like I have no talent artistically. I can't repair or fix anything or build anything. I mean, am I good at cooking? Probably not. But I like to do it. So, I mean, do I have talent? No. I can't cook. But I don't have a sense of smell, so I have a really good reason for me not to be able to cook because I don't care about it. <laughs> like, nobody would ever look at me and be like, Who's, who should cook this? Well, have him do it. <laughs> like, no, I shouldn't be the one doing that. What? Are, are you Are you afraid to cook? 
I have never cooked for anyone else. Except your wife. No, not even my wife. I have never, like, cooked for my wife. I've browned meat or something like that, but I don't have a sense of smell. So, like, why would I cook for somebody? Why would it be like, well, who should do it? Right? Like, we need somebody to look something up. Well, you wouldn't have the blind guy do it. Right? Like, well, that's not the ideal choice. I feel like that's going to a completely, like, you know, far left or right uh, example there, but... It's but an I guess accurate it example, sense. right? It's also losing a sense that is crucial to that thing. I, I honestly feel though that if this if the roles were were reversed and I had just admitted to you that I had never cooked a meal for Melissa, you would be dragging me through the mud if I had a smell or not. No, because I like to me though that didn't make it like I don't see why that's a big deal. I mean, it's I think it's more the thought. It's more of taking the time and effort to try and. You know, do something for the other person, whether it's good or not. Uh, I, I just, I, I'm more, I'm more uh, amazed at the fact that you've never cooked a meal for her. How did you get away with that? Why? Because I don't have a sense of smell. Why would it? Like, what, do you want me to make something for you that's not going to taste good? No. I mean, I'd okay still... then. Like, that's a pretty easy th- situation to solve. I'd still take it. I, I, you know, if you came to me and you're like, to me, that's just a waste of time. I don't understand that at all. But I want the, you to do something poorly for me. But here's the thing. Maybe you're actually an outstanding cook, but you've never tried it. I'm not. I've made meals for my children. They're not any good. <laughs> that doesn't count. Kill. Why doesn't it count? It's the same basic principle. If you, I don't understand why you would want someone to do something for you if you know that they're not good at it. I understand what you're saying. I don't think you've given it a fair chance. That's all I'm saying. You want grilled cheese? I'll make grilled cheese. I've made my wife grilled cheese. I'm not going to sit there and try to make her like pasta vazool. Uh, all right. Uh, let's see. We'll start with Robert Miles. Winston Wolf. A little alliteration mm. there. That's cool. Uh, G- Jim Knotts. Matt Taylor. Christian Wagely. David Perez. Brian Puninsky. Michael Vivier. Renee Avila. And Brian Reyes. Appreciate all of you. Okay. Okay. Got better. That was Chris. That was crisp and clean. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, got some bangers for you. Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, this one's a weird one, and I'm not really sure. Most of these came to me while I was sitting thinking after a couple of pops over the weekend. So I don't know how these are going to turn out, but... Uh, are they legible? Uh, like, did you write them down? Uh, I, I wrote them down on my phone, but the words are, were so misjumbled. But I, I think I got it. Why didn't you just use voice to text? I mean, you've been inebriated. Do you think uh, uh, things through? Because I don't. No, not really. But I still use voice to text. If you use voice to text, do you hold the phone out in front of you or to the side of you? Oof. Um... Probably out in front. I don't. I don't use. I don't utilize that very often. Oh, I've become too lazy to even like type out text messages. I want voice to text the whole way. You want the BlackBerry back? Is what you want? I loved my BlackBerry. It was a great phone. Still the best phone I ever had. So easy. All right. Uh, let's see. So this one, I believe this is what it was. Uh, would you rather be a kid your entire life or an adult your t- entire life? How old is a kid? 
I need to know specifics, right? There's a big difference between being a five-year-old. I don't want to be a five-year-old all my life. I could uh, be maybe an 18-year-old all my life. No, That'd I'm going to a- say 12 or 43. God dang, that's like a hard age range, too. Well, 43, <laughs> man. I mean, ultimately, you want to be able to like experience life and do all kinds of stuff. You don't want to go through life as a 12-year-old. That's not Because you won't be able to do a whole bunch of stuff. Right? You couldn't explain to people that, no, I'm, I'm actually 47. I just look like a 12-year-old. So I'd rather be 43, especially if you were going to be like a mortal. Well, not a mortal, yeah. but your whole life at 43? That's a pretty good deal. That's well, No, this is an easy answer. Okay. I think right. I would much rather anything under 70. I would rather spend my whole life under, un, under that. I'd rather spend my life as an adult. You can do all the adult things. I don't. There, I think there's a sense of uh, honesty of being 12 your entire life. You could just have fun. No, res- no real responsibility. Could eat and drink all the crap you wanted. Be good. Yeah, but you're gonna be like looking like a 12 year old when you've been alive for like 50 years, man. You're gonna be pretty yeah. tired of playing at the playground. I mean, listen, Benjamin Button, calm down over there. You look like you're 12. Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying. Well, that's a compliment. I'll take that. You know that that leads me to something else here. All right, okay, I here was we go, here we go. Here I we was go. age profiled over the weekend, and I'm a little mm-hmm. upset about it. I'm at a grocery store checking out, and I had a bottle of tequila that I was buying, and the the woman comes over. She wasn't gonna check my ID. She looks at me and she goes, "You don't have any gray hair, so I'm gonna need to see your ID." Okay, sounds like she was doing her job. I look 40. I, I, I clearly do not look 21 and under, but because I don't have any gray hair. So my question is, I don't know if that's a compliment or if I if I look so young that like it's, it's just not attractive anymore. I don't know. I don't know. Well, it's probably an insult if you're under 25, but if you're like 40 and somebody's checking your idea, that's a compliment. Okay. All right. Yeah, it's an insult if you're that age, but... Like, if I you're kinda, like 22 and somebody's like, you look like a 16-year-old, then you're like, oh. Cool. Like, I, I kind of got a half annoyed for like a quick second because I'm like, I have some grayer, uh, grayer, some gray hair. Well, I, <laughs> I just that's go actually, by. Wow, grayer. That's a good way to do it. I don't mind it, actually. Um, so clearly, I she wasn't looking at my hair. She just wanted to find an excuse to card me, which is fine. I don't mind. Like, I'm all for it. But, you know, don't. Don't come at me, is what I'm saying. Why do you let these minor inconveniences affect your life? Because I think like, why did you? Why do you let this affect your life? This would not affect me for any second, right? If somebody carded me and was like, "Hey, I need to see your ID for a second. One second after they hand it back to me, I've already forgotten about it. Like, you can't dwell on these things, man. Okay, here you got to move on with your life. When at what age do you start to get annoyed when you get when you get carded? Never, because it's just somebody doing their job. It's like I would if I was 97 and somebody was like, hey, we need to see your ID. I'm like, OK, cool. Here it is. <laughs> like, what's the big deal? Do you it's know why you never get of your life? Do you know why you never get carded is because you buy the shittiest beer and they know someone who's super old is buying that beer. Maybe because I don't really stress out about little situations. So that keeps me looking younger and then I get carded over things. I didn't say right? that I was stressed out. I was just, I was just like, hmm. Like, you were already punching in, th- th- you know, the okay, and then you look at me, and then now you want my ID. 
They probably remember that they have to scan it for like store policy, and they just thought of something to say to you, so they they didn't have to hear you get all pissed off about it. Also, so here's like a... I could just say that this is store policy. I didn't need to card you, or they could be like, "Oh, you look young," and then you'll be like, "Oh, oh, oh, oh I guess I do," and then hand it to what? them. Right? They're just what? suckering you in, man. They're just. Why didn't you just make me sound like Santa Claus for a second? Because mm, oh. Well, you're probably like, oh, 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 I do look young today, right? Like you're a gabber. I, you know I, you're I, a gabber. I did know. actually. I, I did like. I did. I did turn around and I was like, I'll be carded anytime. <laughs> That's a great thing. And uh, God. Yeah. See, right? They suckered you right in. You played right into their hand. Now they got your ID, all your information. They probably opened a bank account in your name, and pretty soon you're going to be living on the street all because of this one interaction. But I did get the tequila, and it made for a fantastic. <laughs> I can't drink tequila, man, anymore. I just, even the word is like. I, I had to get something, uh, and, and it was a, a, a wrestling pay per view night. Oh boy! So you know, it was it was a good night Saturday last. See, uh, last that Saturday. means whacking off in the base. I, like, <laughs> I don't know where you're going with that one. Um, just like I have no idea where I was going with this one. Uh, How but are you, you going to get upset about getting carded and then go home and buy a wrestling pay per view? Like, I'm an adult. Time to get this wrestling pay-per-view. Hey, just so you know, uh, wrestling is a global thing. It's just not, you know, a lot of, lot of us out there. So be careful. I'm hey, man. Your thing. We've no had deal. a professional wrestler on the podcast. Isn't he good now? He got, I thought he was doing really well. He was. He, he, he's oh, still yeah. around. Uh, <laughs> he was. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyways, uh, would you rather wrestle an alligator... Or a gorilla. Probably a gator, right? Yeah. Okay. Because they don't have hands, right? Like, I could yeah. probably do better against a alligator because I could just get on top of it. Like, if I just what's held that? on, what's it going to do? A, gator, a gorilla has arms and hands. It's going to tear you apart. But see, I feel like if the gator gets you, you have a less chance of g- g- doing anything than if a gorilla is in the same position. Like, I feel oh, I- like... I, f- I feel like a gator's going to wrap you up and drown you as where at least, a, a, you know, a gorilla's probably going to smash your face in. But at least for a half second, you you may have a better chance of trying to escape. I don't – yeah, but I think that the gator has less of a chance of getting you. Maybe you have a point in that regard. I think it's completely over if either one of them gets a hold of you. But I think you have a better chance of, like, evading the gator for longer. The gorilla's just going to absolutely wreck you. Oh, man, it's – yeah, like I said, I don't know where any of these uh, have have come from, uh, but good ideas come in the middle of just thinking. About oh yeah, things. it's amazing if you just stop and let your brain run for a couple of seconds. Like how many thoughts are just ping ponging around up? Oh there? man, you don't know what's gonna happen. Which we never do, right? Like we just never, we never do. I do every Friday and Saturday night. When <laughs> Take a bunch of edibles and, and, and just stare into the night and think about thoughts. Engage into those activities. Uh, yeah. All right, last uh, last one here. Um, it's more of a question than a than a banger. But uh, what kind of Christmas tree do you have? You go cut one down. Do you have a fake one? I have a fake one, right? Fake trees and titties are my favorite things. <laughs> <laughs> Why get the real one when the original when the fake ones can be superior? Right? That's so much less 
that's so much easier. I don't have to go pick it out. I don't have to worry about is this going to be a good one. I don't have to worry about how much it's going to cost, getting rid of it. Just go get the fake tree and be done with it. And if you want the scent, then buy a candle. I'm sure you've got many recommendations of candles that smell like trees. I I mean, we can start if you want. There's even a pine tree one. Can you just give us a one and not go down the road of 50 <laughs> candle recommendations? Just give us a good tree-scented candle. Uh, good tree-scented candle. Well, first one that comes to my mind, it's um, – uh, uh, I have to look up the name. Pine Star? I think it's called Pine Star by Yankee Candle. Uh, it's just it's just amazing. I don't know. It just smells like pure pine. However – if you have a fake tree, I, I, I'm going to recommend – they actually sell, like, things that you can put in the tree that will give it an aroma of being and smelling like an actual tree. Mm, okay. But do you, so, go, do you go buy a real tree every year? I carry that damn thing home. <laughs> I used to, um, and then the pandemic happened and we bought a fake tree. And that's one of the good things that actually came out of the pandemic for me is I learned how – much of an idiot I was for ever wanting a real tree. Yeah, I mean, a fake tree is way easier. I could care less about a real tree. Like, is it real? Is it fake? It's a tree either way. <laughs> Don't yeah, care at I mean, all. I mean, you know, I, I get it. Like, it's all part of the uh, of the shtick. But, you know, there's no needles that drop. It's easy to take up. It's easy to put down. It's, yeah, it's just, it's just easier. I think it's cheaper, too. I'd much rather have a fake tree. Because you're going to make fun of me for this, but when we did do it, we used to go to a tree farm and cut down the tree. So there was, if anything, there was multiple other men like my and women, like like myself and, and others, who would physically cut trees down. And by the time you're done cutting a tree down, I didn't give a shit how big it was. So let's just get it in the wagon to get it back to the car. I can't actually imagine you cutting down a tree. Did you use an axe or a saw? Uh, a saw. It's actually a handsaw at that. It's actually, it's not bad. Um, you always have that one, that one, uh, you know, over, uh, overzealous person who brings a chainsaw. Mm, you don't really need a chainsaw to cut down to cut no. a one inch tree. No. But anyway, you should have used an ax. The only appropriate way to cut down a tree is with an ax because that's how a man does it. I don't care what else you're doing. It should be done with an ax. With and and quite frankly, the forearms need to be shown. Okay. That would be my rule. If I was ever like running a lumberjack place or a tree place, they look. Everybody cuts down the tree with an axe, and you've got to roll up your sleeves because if you don't, you're not doing it correctly. All of your lumberjacks would have their forearms showing while sweating. You got to have your forearms shown. If you don't have forearms showing and you're using it, not using an axe, you're not cutting down a tree. It's not the right way to do it. Don't know what kind of business you're going to be running there, but uh, sounds like you're going to have a lot of applicants. So good luck. Clearly, good luck you've there. never seen the Brawny Man. I, yes, I think so. Yeah, I have. Terrible reference, but yes, I have. Uh, who do you think would win in a fight between Mr. Who do you think would win in a fight between the Brawny guy and Mr. Clean? Like, which one of those guys do you think can handle his business better? Well, I mean, I remember Mr. Clean smiling a lot. So on basis of that alone, he seems way too happy. So I'm going to go with Mr. Braun. You don't think that he has, like, he does? he's not aggressive enough. You think Mr. Clean is too much of a nice guy? Yeah, he reminds me of a, a former coworker of ours. Oh, yeah, he does, actually, now that I think about it. <laughs> I think Mr. Clean would actually win. I think the brawny guy puts on a good show, but I think Mr. Clean is the guy who can get down to business when he needs to. 
I mean, did they? Was there ever a celebrity death match that that pitted them against each other? There has to be someone that did this. There has to be. I still think Mr. Clean would win. I think he can take out the brawny guy. Uh, okay. Do you have any other uh, bangers? Any other no, thoughts? No, no. That's that's it. We learned enough about you from this episode. Okay. Uh, so our top five is top five winter animals. What's your number five? So my number five. I'm getting. I don't even want to put them on the list. Because I detest these animals. But they have to be, if you're talking about winter-esque animals, they have to be on the list. And that's penguins. Oh, penguins should be much higher on there. I Penguins I, are a fantastic winter animal. I agree, but I, I, I don't like them for whatever reason. And uh, they're lucky to get on my top five. Why do you have such a problem with penguins? I just think they're overrated animals. They're like dolphins to me. Like, they're just overrated animals that have been propelled to the top of the animal food chain by us humans. And I, I just, you know, I just don't get it. They're cute and they walk funny. I agree with you about dolphins, though. I don't trust those. I don't trust dolphins. I mean, super obese people waddle. And we don't put them in a zoo and laugh at them. Well, they, do they have suits on? Do they look like they have a tuxedo on? <laughs> then maybe we would. Do they eat raw fish and make weird noises? My number five is the walrus. I don't think that walruses get enough credit as an animal. They're kind of sweet. They're huge, man. They are gigantic. I think that's what people don't get. They're like a thousand pound animals. Like they are large creatures. The problem is, is that I think that people get seals, sea lions, and walruses all kind of mixed up slightly. And you think that the walrus isn't that much bigger. And then you see a walrus and you're like, holy crap. That's funny you mentioned that. That's my number four is a seal. Oh, I don't know. How is that a winter animal? My <laughs> only my only basis for putting them as a winter animal is because they're you know every time you see a documentary about you know the the North Pole or the South Pole or somewhere where it's cold and they always show orcas feeding, and the cold waters are always going after seals. So I would never consider a seal to be a winter animal man they very well to be exact opposite to be honest not be but uh that's my perception of them my number four is a reindeer see i left off reindeer once again i feel like they're friggin' overrated man overrated animals if you had a bunch of like deer-like animals lined up like an elk a moose a deer and a reindeer could you actually pick them out and be like nope that's a reindeer not an elk uh, the moose, I think I could only because, by the way, I feel like I'm going to get hammered on social media for the seal number four. Uh, and I, I've been pretty impressed with the amount of people commenting. Uh, so bring it, I guess. Uh, but regardless, uh, I'm saying that to say this, I believe moose are way bigger than both of those, uh, species. That's yes. how I think you'd be able to know the difference. I couldn't tell the difference between a reindeer and a caribou. I don't know if they're actually even a different thing. I don't know if I could tell the difference between a rainbow, a caribou, and an elk. But I could tell the difference between a deer. And a moose is gigantic. I've seen a moose in, like, real life. Yeah. And it's like, whoa. Just, you better get the hell away from that thing. <laughs> that thing's pissed. They're mean animals. They're very mean animals. They'll follow you, man. Don't mess with a moose. Don't, People don't. are worried about bears, but you should really be worried about moose. Uh, all right. Well, my number three. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know how to transition from that properly. Uh, I have an orca as my number three. 
really what your classification of winter animals is, to be honest with you. I think that you just thought of places, animals that live in cold places and were like, I guess that counts. Just go with it, man, because I'm going to get butchered on this. But okay. I, I, I don't know. For all I, I mean, I know that, you know, orcas, they, they're like a Pacific Northwest animal. And they go into the Atlantic Ocean down near uh, Antarctica. They're in cold water, which all water is cold. You know, Antarctica is south, right? Like, yeah, what I say north? I meant I meant that they go south. Sorry. Um, yeah, that's towards Antarctica, but yeah. the Arctic. I still get confused. Let's just yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> my number three is a real winter animal, a snow owl. <laughs> Not only do I think a snow animal is a sweet winter animal, but I think it's probably the. It's probably one of my. It's my favorite owl. Easily. Once, a, once again, uh, owls are overrated. I don't have a problem with owls. I mean, I God, you think? What do you think is more sick of hearing people make noises at it? A owl or a wolf? Oof, that's actually a great question. Uh, I feel like owls don't give a shit. I don't know why, but when you look at an owl, they just look like they don't give a shit what you're thinking. Yeah, they seem like they're probably smarter and that they don't really care too much. If they're like, oh, these idiots. But a wolf seems like they probably get a little bit annoyed. I've been to places where they're like a zoo with a wolf, and they specifically put like, don't howl at the wolves. All right. My number two is uh, a moose. Okay. Okay. Moose is respectable. I don't know. Again, I'm not sure what qualifies as a winter animal, but <laughs> that's that's fine. <laughs> Whatever. I think you just picked animals. Like, what is it, big and lives north? <laughs> yeah. Like, pick it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, why not? I mean, all, it's really none of this really makes any sense if you think about it. It's not like all these animals are, aren't alive during the summer. I mean, it's just kind of like we just decided, like, that's a winter animal. I, yeah. um, my number two is a penguin, specifically an emperor penguin. Nah. I think of that as a winter animal. Yeah, I mean, like, overrated. I, I don't know how, I mean, the only, the, the only good penguin was Danny DeVito. <laughs> he was a good penguin, right? Like, he was yeah. born to play that. It's like, who's going to be the penguin? Like, well, Danny DeVito. <laughs> and everybody, they, as soon as that role was announced, he just was like, well, I'm going to be that. Guess I'm winning like, my Oscar perfect. now. Did he win an Oscar for it? No, God, no, man, terrible. Oh, because he didn't deserve it. I don't think not enough credit goes to actors who played, like, roles that we like. Uh, I think we have the same number one. Though, you ha- right? you have to. There really is only one dominant winter animal, and that is the polar bear. Polar bear. I 100% agree that the polar bear is the dominant winter animal because not only do I think of it and associate it with winter, but I also think of it as like the North Pole, those Coca-Cola commercials. It's the dominant winter animal. And, uh, you know, it's gigantic. It has snow that or uh, fur that reflects what it lives in, the snow. I mean, come on, man. What what color is a polar bear's fur? This is a trick question. Uh, my first initial uh, reaction is to say white or gray, but I'm guessing it's going to be like brown or something. A polar bear's skin is actually black, and the polar bear's fur is also translucent. Hmm. Wow. So it has clear fur. Oh, it does look black. That's kind of crazy. <laughs> Everyone listening to this is, air... is now Googling what a polar bear looks like. 
The hair of a polar bear appears white because air spaces in each hair scatter light of all colors. And it is mostly around the color white, so that's why it appears to be white. But the pair is actually translucent, which is crazy to think about. Uh, okay, what's your honorable mention? Do you have any honorable mention? Uh, any other animals? So I have an Arctic hare bunny. Okay, okay, okay. An Arctic fox. Okay, and the other animals with the word Arctic in front of it. And she just decided. I was actually just trying to think of uh, of one, but uh, I I can't think I of another one either. Yeah, I don't think I can think of another one. Arctic owl, an Arctic owl, yes, but not the kind of owl that you decided to put on the list. Um, yeah, I mean, not not much, not many others. Um, no, not really. Uh, okay, we have an Arctic hare, an Arctic fox. That's it. <laughs> they, oh, an Arctic tern, an Arctic woolly bear, an Arctic wolf. Oh, okay, that's probably enough. <laughs> Arctic, the Arctic grouse. You know what animal I would put in there that I'm just now looking at is the musk ox, like that okay. big ass ox with a bunch of hair. That looks pretty sweet. Yeah, or a buffalo. It's not a buffalo. It's a musk ox. It's a very different thing. I'm not getting into this whole debate with you about the buffalo. For people who aren't familiar with it, John thinks that he can outrun a buffalo, which a buffalo can run at 40 miles an hour. I doesn't make any sense to anyone why he thinks that he can outrun something. I he, just math, he, I guess. He's going to cut me off before I finish this. But it was a it was a bet or, or a, a wannabe bet that I could. I, I don't. I think I said I could finish a 40 with a 10 yard head start, standing no. still. Before, nope. a bu- before a buffalo. No, you couldn't. And then part about the head start was something that you just now added in there because you're trying to cover up for it and make oh. you're slightly realizing that there's absolutely no chance. I don't think that you could run 40 yards, to be honest with you. You're crazy. I don't think that you could. I don't think that you could sprint 40 yards right now without hurting yourself. You could go outside, dead sprint 40 yards right now and not pull a muscle. Yep. I don't. I don't. I or trip. Or fall down? I don't agree with that at all. Dude, no. I'm only in my mid thirties. If any, if any mid thirty person, no matter your condition or shape, can't sprint for eight seconds, then you got other issues. I actually know very few people who are in their mid thirties who do not regularly, who don't play professional sports, that could run right now, dead sprint, and not hurt themselves. I mean, obviously, I'd do a quick warm-up. Like, I would do a stretch so I don't tear a hamstring like I did one time. Exactly. <laughs> they, that was terrible. You know, I don't even need to get it right. Yeah, that, yeah. I don't need to. I won't get hurt. No, I won't get hurt. I but I have been hurt doing the exact same thing in the past. I won't get hurt. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, leave us a quick review. We really appreciate it. It really does help us out. And let us know what you think are some of the best winter animals. There really doesn't seem to be any classification or qualifications for the winter animals that we chose. It's basically entirely subjective. But I do think that polar bear is the best winter animal. I don't know about some of John's choices. I wouldn't consider them to be winter animals, but whatever. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. 
Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.